Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode, guest hosted by writer, editor, and performer Alice Osborne, we visit with New York Times bestselling author Jason Mott, author of, and here you go, A Hell of a Book. And I'm not just kidding, that's the title of the book. In Hell of a Book, an African-American author sets out on a cross-country book tour to promote his best-selling novel. The storyline drives Jason Mott's novel and is the scaffolding of something much larger and more urgent. Since his novel also tells the story of soot, a young black boy living in a rural town in the recent past, and the kid, a possibly imaginary child who appears to the author on his tour. While the book is at once about family, love of parents and children, art and money, there also is the tragic story of a police shooting playing over and over on the news. Who has been killed? Who is the kid? Will the author finish his book tour? And what kind of world will we leave behind? Mott says he's been writing this book in his head for 10 years. My name is Landis Wade, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here with us today. You can find out more about me at my author website, LandisWade.com, and I'd love to have you visit. For all things related to the podcast, check out CharlotteReadersPodcast.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website, charlottereadspodcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration, provide some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Our guest host is Alice Osmond. As I said, she's an experienced poet, performer, and editor from Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, she's an award-winning uh, author uh, herself. She plays fiddle, mandolin, and banjo. We're not going to do that today, but she's done it on the podcast. You can listen to her play her guitar uh, on Charlotte's podcast. Just check out our guest list and find her there. Uh, and let me just tell you, uh, listeners, before we leave you entirely, we're going to jump over to Patreon after this episode's over. We're going to talk with uh, Jason about uh, writing in third person, but right now, I'm turning the microphone over to Alice Osborne to uh, welcome Jason to the show. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. It's so wonderful to see you here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited, too. 
Um, I'm a fan of your work, and we've known each other as colleagues for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I, in uh, you've come to my Wonderland book club a few times, and in those sessions, uh, we get to be very real with other authors, readers, and that's why I feel like I have some insight into Hell of a Book. I've, um, as I was, I was reading, your hometown of Bolton plays a role as a major character. And you are um, revealing about what it means to be a black man in America. The character um, who is never named in the book has an epiphany and he uses imagination. And I know you love superheroes and Nick Cage. So there's this uh, fantasy of there's a lot of Jason in the character. And there's, uh, you know, it's, of course, a, a, a protagonist that's made up uh, in the novel. But and the, the biggest thrill I had was what it's like to be on a book tour, which a major book tour, since you have experienced all of that great nonsense <laughs> that goes on. So my question for you is, what made you decide to take this leap of faith, this leap of courage? Because this is courage right here of, of um, making this departure from your other works of fiction. What made you do it? It was sort of a, to a degree, it was a bit of inevitability. Um, and I've been trying to, so the kind of the backstory on this novel is, um, you know, in 2012, when The Return came out, um, I went on a really big book tour and it was very frantic and exciting and all those kinds of things. It was very comedic. It was a lot of fun, but it was also exhausting. And, you know, it was the whole wild experience that I didn't expect and didn't know what I was getting into. And I wanted to write about that for just for years. I was like, someone, you know, because I would go to readings and I would tell the stories from book tour and people would love it. So I said, well, I got to write about that at some point. So a few years back, maybe 2017, 2018 or so, um, I started writing about this author on book tour, had none of the personal, I and mean, it was personal, but it was also very kind of exaggerated. So like the things that are in hell of a book weren't there yet. Just the the framework was there of like an author on book tour. Um I sent to my, I talked to my agent about it. My agent wasn't very impressed. I sent some, I read some, had some friends read it. They weren't very impressed. Like everyone was kind of like, it's funny, but it's, it's not really, it's not really doing anything beyond being funny. So I just kind of put it on the back burner. And around that same time, you know, there was, there was, and there still continues to be so much news of, you know, shootings of black men being shot by police. Um, and particularly at that time, it, it, it just felt so much larger than it had been. Again, it's been going on, like there's nothing new. But there was that moment of kind of this conflagration of all these things and just the way they kind of built outward to become so large and so overwhelming. And I was talking to a friend on the phone. We, we had spent weeks discussing it and it was just becoming overwhelming. And I said, well, I got to write about it somehow. So I started writing about this boy who kind of was me, but kind of wasn't me because it was this weird mix of personal memoir and just fantasy. And at some point I said, oh, yeah, I've got that author on book tour story. What if I just combine these two into like a weird project? And I didn't expect it to work. I was really nervous about it because there were so many chances that I took in the writing of it. Um, there was a point when I, I, you know, as authors, you have to control your work to a certain extent. And I did definitely control the work to a point, but there was a point where I just kind of let it go and let it mutate on its own. And I didn't know what the mutation would bring about. And that was a really big bit of a nerve wracking moment for me. And all of a sudden, I had this project that was me, but wasn't me, that was about all these topics, and yet was about this comedic side of things. And I sent it to my agent, and she absolutely loved it, which I was really surprised by. <laughs> so that was good. 
because there's an agent in there and it's so she's so funny sharing the agent <laughs> oh we it's, it's funny because um one of the, so one of the first things when my agent read the book she emailed me and she goes oh i love it but let's have it let's let's talk about it let's go on the phone and talk about it and we get on the phone conversation and literally the first thing she says is she goes first of all before we talk about the book let's talk about you and i and how you see agents and let's talk about like have i done anything to you that you want to talk about like let's let's really discuss us first before we talk about the book and I had to reassure her. I said, no, you're a wonderful agent. Because she is. I love her so much. Sharon is, the character in the novel is this, she represents a feeling. Like, I, 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 think, of the, I think of the entire novel as kind of like impressionist artwork. Like, it's not meant to be realistic. It's just, it's meant to give you the, the feeling that I had. Um, so I did have like some publicists when I was on tour who were very kind of demanding. And like, We've got this running gag about having to wear a um, sport coat to interviews. And there's a whole whole long backstory behind that, which is really, really silly. Um, but yeah, the agent in the novel um, is not my agent. I'll say that and be happy with saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I figured as much, but you drew out a lot of sources. Uh, this novel is about truth. It's about pain. And that's um, that struck me. There's the truth of if you're Black, do you have to talk about the black condition and are you a representative for everybody? And the character who is never named in hell of a book um, has this ongoing struggle with that. And it's a psychic break of I'm not black. Oh, I am. Oh, how did that happen? And as I was um, thinking about this book, I remember some of your discussions when you're in person in my book club that your previous novels of there were people of color, characters of color in the book, but they were never quite identified as black or Asian or, or Hispanic. And in this novel, uh, it's very specific um, for race. And I was very happy with that because I, I said, okay, that's, that's, um, that's showing, you know, as I know you as a person, wow. I mean, that's, that takes a lot of courage. We're going to be talking about this. And that was about halfway through the book. And then it goes into a deeper dive about um, mothers and fathers of black children and um, the pain and the suffering and never quite being in your own body and the fear, the fear. And I felt um, James Baldwin would have been very proud. So I just I applaud you. And my question here is, what was your process of combining all of these truths into a seamless whole. And the other part is the truth of being an author where you're an author of color, but do you have to write about black people? I mean, and, and if you're not writing about black people, um, if you're writing about white people, you know, there's this, there's this thing that um, now, now it's uh, very much a part of our culture. You have to be writing what you are, which, you know, that's, Silly, because as an author, you're a great author when you can go into someone's head and write about anybody. So. Yeah, no. Um, so combining these these elements, the process there, like I said, it was very weird. It's hard to kind of even describe what that process was. It was just it was very organic um, because, you know, the book keep the book changed and the book still changes. Like when you when you read the book and you come to the project, um, the book starts talking about X and then it mutates into talking about Y and then it changes into talking about Z and all these threads kind of become connected together. And so it was kind of the same process of writing it. Like I just, I think a lot of the times the instinct would be, well, stop here and just focus on X and make that the entire course of the novel. 
but I wanted to capture the fact that like in, you know, in human existence and your existence as a black person and like that, that duality that you kind of have being you're American, but you're also black American. And those are two dual things that you have to kind of carry at all times. You're not allowed to pick one and just have that be the one thing that you are. You have to be able to navigate both. So I wanted the novel to reflect that. I want the novel to be this thing that reflects the many dualities and the changing state of being the fluidity of being a minority in this country and the way you have to just be a chameleon at times and change and still be able to approach topics intelligently and still be able to live your life through a certain means. Um, so I wanted the novel to kind of kind of reproduce that. Um, the process for it was just really long, a lot of revisions. Like I say, it was you know years of writing um, and revising and trying to just fine tune things and not that things get too loud, not things be too quiet. Um, as for that duality of like being an author, but, you know, being a black author, like that there's, there was a lot of frustration that I had to write through in this novel because that's what, that's been one of my most frustrating points of being an author um, is that when you, when you are an author of color or even just a female author or like any kind of minority author, like you're not allowed to just be the author. Like it just can't be like no one lets it happen. Wherever you go to an interview, they have to ask you, what's it like being a black author? They have, and they have to ask you, you know, and, and I understand it. Like, I, I really do. There's a part of me, I mean, I've done it myself. There's a part of me that when when you hear a certain voice and you, re you recognize that that voice has a history and a background and a perspective that's different from yours, you usually, if you're, you know, hopefully, you want to hear what that different perspective is and how, how their lens is seeing your world. You kind of want to see that and hear that and kind of take it in. So you ask those questions. But I think we often underestimate that you do take away from that person's ability to just be the thing that they are and not have it be limited to that box of you're black or you're female or whatever the minority thing is. So I had to write about that and, you know, th that frustrating point. I've had so many weird experiences. I remember when I was on tour for The Returned, I was in Kentucky at a book fair and the cover of The Return has a, a 10 year old boy, Jacob. He's white. He's on the cover. And this woman came up to me and she looks at the book and she looks at me looks back at the book she looks at me and she says why is the boy on the cover of your book white and it was like well let's talk and we had we had a we had a quick teachable talking moment there but like that really sums it up that sums up what it is to be a black author and a black writer you're not given the freedom to just be a writer you have to be also in this box and that becomes frustrating and that's why so many black artists left america and went to europe <laughs> yes very much so yes Oh, that duality. It's, it's painful. It's, and, uh, and I thought, okay, well, you know, that's, as I have authors come on to uh, Wonderland Book Club, I've learned it's not just minority authors, it's also women, and uh, skinny women writing about fat um, girls, and I guess you're not supposed to say the word fat, but you know, of, of size. And we had a whole discussion about that. And we had, um, age we had i mean it's it's become a little bit too much and one thing that's blown my mind because i'm writing historical western fiction is the the disclaimers now well um this book was set in 1850 when there were not um politically correct um uh you know move the, the, the politically correct movement was not in place so if you see a few things that are um, inappropriate it's appropriate to that time really do you have to say that <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the state of things, and it's funny because like I, I under like again it's nothing that I understand, and like I'm not I'm against, but I'm also not against if that makes any sense, mm -hmm. because it's, you know society always goes through these kind of overcorrections on both sides of the fence. Yeah. 
um, both your liberal, conservative, whatever you want to call it. We swing back and forth. This pendulum comes back and forth. So what you're seeing now is, you know, people, voices who have not had a chance to speak for themselves, voices who, whose, you know, autonomy and agency has been taken away by other people. They're, they're planting their flag and they're saying, no, you cannot tell my story. Only I can tell my story. And I think that's a wonderful, beautiful, amazing, like that's the moment you always want to see in a, in a society, in a world. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, but the pendulum is like one or two degrees to a little bit too far sometimes. Like I say, like you should be able to write like a, a white male author should be able to write black characters or female characters or whatever. Like you should be able to write the characters that you want as long as you are doing it with a proper authorial intent where you treat the character respectfully, you treat their story respectfully. I think that's fine. Um, but again, I, different people have different opinions on it. So I, I welcome other people's opinions. And I, you know, I think the pendulum will settle in the middle like it, it usually does. And things will kind of get back to whatever normal was, if we want to say that. But hopefully not all the way back to normal because normal was bad sometimes. <laughs> it was. I think this is a good time for, uh, for us to hear some of your book. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, I got a selection here, and actually, you picked the selection out, which is terrific. Oh, I did. Okay. <laughs> it's funny because like I'm still, I'm still learning how to show this book to the world because you know it's it's been behind the scenes for so long. Um, this is actually my first like sitting reading, like probably front time with it. Um, so I'm still learning how to talk about the book and how to, to get it out there. So it's always fun. Um, so this section here is about the boy Soot. And to just kind of recap for people who haven't come to the book yet, um, there's this author on book tour and this he meets this 10-year-old kid he keeps seeing over and over and over again. Um, that's the main kind of storyline. There's also a secondary storyline that you encounter about this boy named Soot, who's also around the age of 10. And there's some you know hints as, you know, maybe they're the same character, maybe they're not. It's hard to tell. So this is uh, the moment that kind of changed Soot's life. Soot awoke to blue lights flashing around the walls of his bedroom. They danced in and out of existence like fairies. He heard his mother's voice screaming his father's name. There was horror in her wails, the sound of things falling apart, the sound of dreams breaking. Soot scrambled out of bed and raced to his mother. He heard, she heard his footfalls on the old hardwood floor and without taking her eyes off of whatever it was she was watching outside, shouted, go back to bed, please. She wiped her face and stepped out into the front door onto the first step of the stairs. She moved slowly like walking along the edge of the world. She carried her hands before her, both of them aimed at the sky. Please don't do this. She spoke to the blue lights shimmering in the front yard. Soot wanted to follow her, but he didn't have the courage to disobey her. So he climbed up on the old couch and squinted out of the window with his heart beating in his ears. Outside, caught in the blue and white lights, Soot saw two shadows, one tall and lean, one square and hard. One stood with his hands in the air, the other with one hand on his hip. He knew from the lankiness of the shadows which one was his father. Mama? Soot called. But his mother did not hear him. She was out on the stairs with her hands in the air, calling her husband's name. William, she called. Then the world exploded. His father's shadow fell to the ground. Soot ran out onto the porch and grabbed his mother by the waist. She was screaming, screaming with her fists clenched and her body a taut cable of pain. In the glare of the headlights, with the blue flashing blinding him, Soot saw his father turn to him. He saw the man's eyes full of pleading and fear, and the only thing Soot wanted was to disappear. And somehow, he felt himself growing light. He felt as though he were moving, but the world was only still. Unseen, he felt warm and calm, safe and unafraid. 
Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Unseen and undeniable all at once. That was one of my favorite lines. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, it was so. That's definitely the, the one of the, one of the big moments in the book. There there are a few big moments in the book, but that one that one sums up a lot of what the core is trying to kind of get to um, in such kind of dark tale that happens. Yes. Now, hell of a book. That's the name of the book, and it's also <laughs> the name of the characters, the author's book. So it's a book within a book. We don't know the contents of the actual book that's in the book. But uh, my question for you, Jason, is how did you come up with that smashing title? <laughs> that very arrogant and presumptuous title. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> so it, I, I, here, here's a, a weird a weird fact about me. Um, I have yet to title any of my novels. Um, I'm four novels deep now, and I have yet to give the title to any of them. I try. I try really hard to make titles. But my agent always hates them. My editor always hates them. So I, I've learned that I just suck at titles. Um, so, you know, um, as you read the novel, you know, there's this running gag. And it's meant to be a gag. There's this running gag about how, oh, you wrote a hell of a book. It's a hell of a book. And, that be, and so that's why the author never names his novel. It just becomes known as, oh, it's such a hell of a book. And that just becomes this joke that comes throughout the novel. And at some point, my agent and I were trying to, to name this book and... I had sent her like a list of like 15 different titles. I can't even think of them at the time, but like there were so many other titles. I was like this, 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 and they were all really weird and strange and bizarre. Um, and my agent goes, you know, you should just call it a hell of a book. Right. And I said, no, I don't want to call it that. I said, like, that's such an arrogant, insane title to have for a book. And she goes, it, she's like, it fits perfectly. She's like, you know it and I know it. So just go ahead and just do that. And we did. Um, and it just, yeah. So that's how, that's how it came to be. I said, I've never titled a novel that I've written yet. So I'm terrible at it. <laughs> Tell me more about your Nicolas Cage fascination. <laughs> I am a long time and card carrying member of the Nicolas Cage fan club. Um, I have been just as long as I can't remember life without Nicolas Cage, which is weird. Me um, too. <laughs> <laughs> Raising Arizona. Yes, exactly. Raising Arizona was definitely one of the big ones for me because um, I'm a Coen Brothers fan as well. But yeah, I, I find him to be just infinitely fascinating and not from the, you know, not from the tongue in cheek way that I think most people find him fascinating. Um, but I do find him just truly fascinating in that he's someone who I feel like lives life on his own terms. Like the roles that he picks, because you know, they do, they swing from like literal brilliance to literal, what did I just watch? Um, and he he's right there for all of it. And uh, something about that, someone who can take ownership of, their life and not only their life, but how, how they are perceived by others. You kind of like you own your perception in the world. I find it to be a really fascinating thing. I think, so that's why I just, I love him. Like I love his ability to just, he lives in his skin fully and he owns his identity fully. And I find that just really fascinating. Which was the theme of the book, which the character yes. in hell of a book is having the duality and he has um, attachment disorder or the, or, you know, you're, you know, you, you have a psychic break of you don't know what's real. And that's and he couldn't own the past because he denied the past, but his mind was denying it. It wasn't. And he was a, he's a kind person, you can see. But it's like, I can't help everybody at once. I can't help all the homeless people. I can't help everybody. We, like when he meets that um, the older lady in the elevator, you know, he <laughs> says, <laughs> you know, he says, I want to 
and then they talk about um, the tragedy and they said, I want to feel for these people and I want to say bye to her and maybe I'll see her, you know, I'll never see her again, but that's the way that life is. It's not like I don't want to see her again. And I love how you said that because I've had some people say, I'll never see that person again in, in, a, in a spirit of meanness. And right away, I knew this character had a good heart from, from that phrasing that he just couldn't, you know, he couldn't encapsulate everything, but he was trying. Yeah, I think this, that's part of the character's struggle. That's part of my struggle as, as trying to tell this story is like, you know, the character, the character himself, he wants to, he wants to help everybody. He wants to kind of be all things to everyone. And the reality that he cannot do it is part of what causes him so much pain and grief. And even from a writing standpoint, part of why the, you know, I fought with the novel at times was because the novel was trying to do so much. And I was like, no, you can't do that. Just nail it down to one thing. And the novel refused that. The novel said, no, we're going to keep trying to like cover all the bases and hit all these things and make them all important. Um, because it is like, even with this novel, you know, when I finished the book, and even if we, if we had found an agent, my agent loved it, obviously, we found a publisher for it and everything was going great. Um, I told my agent, I was like, there's still so much more that I wish had made it into this novel. There's still so many other topics I want to talk about and so many other things that revolve in the same kind of sphere that it just wasn't room for them in that book. And so, so I, I, yeah, I understand the author in the novel very clearly, obviously. <laughs> Jason, you did a great job. I think, I thought you, you covered a lot. <laughs> tough job tough job and um one of my other questions was we have uh, I, I love superheroes and comic books and a lot of times the, the author as um the author the character of the author as a little boy he escapes through through care through heroes and and we find out that Soot has this uh, magical power to become invisible. And that's his superhero skill. So my question is, your other works were are magical realism and horror. And how, how would you categorize this book? Because it is real life horror and magical realism and also elements of the superhero. Um. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how to qualify it. How to actually kind of it's funny because like that's a question I've had from a few people is like, how do you you know, what box does this book fit in? Um, and, I, you know, magical realism, you know, high concept, you know, whatever you want to call it, that that genre, I think that holds a lot of the book. Um, but there, I mean, it is semi autobiographical like, it's part memoir like that. That is a there's a hard truth to, to say, like, there are parts of these characters and parts of their stories that are blatant memoir. Like it's, it's me telling the story of the scene that happened to me. And I'm just describing it using this character as a very thin veil. Um, so, you know, it, yeah. So it, I don't know yet as far as how do, what box do I put it in? Um, I think whatever box the reader finds that they want to fit it in for themselves, I think that's where it should fit. Um, you know, publishers will say it's, you know, fiction, you know, magical realism, whatever you want to call that genre. I just kind of say what, wherever my reader wants to put it, that's where it belongs. Jason, who are your favorite authors from classic um, 19th century, 20th century, 21st century that have influenced you and have helped you grow as an author? Um, the biggest ones by far are uh, John Gardner and William Golding and Toni Morrison. I think those those three are like the the touchstones, like the foundations of my writing. Um, and it's funny because, you know, John Gardner, if I remember, taught Toni Morrison you know, a bit and like you know, they they 
worked in the same circle. So there's a lot of like lineage stuff following through there. Yeah. Um, and then of course, you know, William Golding, Lord of the Flies, that's a book to just, I go back to yearly and just find new amazing things in it. It's amazing how complicated that book is. So yeah, those are kind of my big three. And then there's also a lot of philosophers that I read. Philosophy actually plays a big role in my writing, probably more so than people kind of suspect. Um, I read a lot of Marcus Aurelius at times, um, a lot of other, you know, just really cool, obscure, weird philosophers too. <laughs> and what advice would you give to a young author or maybe a young author, but um, someone who's just starting out trying to put this all together? Yeah, the the best advice I would give, you know, developing writers, we want to call young writers, um, be kind to yourself, be forgiving, like, yeah, just just be be forgiving to yourself. Be as forgiving to yourself as you are to people that you love. Because um, writers are tyrants to themselves. Like we we abuse ourselves for not writing as well as whomever we admire and for not getting it right the first time, for having to revise. Like we find so many ways and reasons to pick ourselves apart. And yet if it was if it was our best friend, our our significant other, our child, our parent who gave us said, Hey, read this thing for me, we would be really polite. We'd be honest, but we'd be nice to them. We'd say, Hey. It's not working yet, but I believe you can make it happen. Say that same thing to yourself. That's, that's, what, that's nice my say. Yeah, it's not working yet, but you're going to get there. You yeah, have a career, exactly. you know, if you practice and you take this art very seriously. Yeah, you... putting, putting yet on the end of a sentence is such a forgiving thing to do. Um, and I think people, people should do that more often. Hmm. Well, you started publishing as a poet and you made the leap to fiction. How is poetry helping you now as a novelist now poetry is poetry is such a huge help it poetry forces efficiency and the ability to to succinctly summarize a feeling in a, in a very small space um and that's just the best thing i think one of the best things writers can do is like learn not to be long-winded and just pare themselves down and you know really say it once and say it powerfully once and that's what poetry forces you to learn how to do one of my, one of my, um, it was so funny, your book. I, I love the, uh, that's when the, that's when the milk ended with the uh, Oprah leaving <laughs> 2011. <laughs> yeah, the, pub, the publishing jokes were fun. Um, I, I definitely poke fun at a lot of people that I've, it's, it, and the thing that I find so hilarious, and I love telling this part of the narrative is um, my agent and like all the agents in her office, like people that she sent this book to, like before we sent to editors and stuff. And even after we found, like we were shopping for editors, people inside publishing was like, nobody wants to hear about publishing. Nobody wants to hear anything about how, what's going on behind the scenes. I was like, dude, trust me, people would love to hear the insanity that you guys are getting into. Um, and now when people are, now people are starting to read the book, like everyone loves the publishing stories and the wacky agent and the weird stuff. And it's like, so I told my, you know, I got to do a little bit of a told you so to my agent on that. It's like, see, I told you people love to hear about your crazy job. And that's, I mean, I'm an, I'm an author. I'm, I've been through the poll publishing. I, I know this stuff and I'm still fascinated. And that was something, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I was wondering, do non-authors find this fascinating? And you answered my question. Yeah. So far people have found it really fascinating and seem to be finding it really fun, which is, you know, that was the hope, you know? Um, cause publishing is esoteric, but I think just the absurdity, I try, so I try to rank those scenes as absurd as possible. Um, and I, I, I definitely pushed it to like level 12 on certain points, um, and really poke fun at some people who hopefully won't come track me down and be angry. Cause, cause again, a lot of those scenes as absurd as they are, are based on real honest to God conversations I've had with people. 
Um, and they were all great people. So hopefully they don't get too angry about it. Even the Kelly scenes. It, oh, the dating scenes. Yes. There's, there's a lot of truth in those dating scenes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to jump back in here. I've been uh, really enjoying this conversation uh, and it has prompted a couple of questions, Jason, that I have. Uh, you, uh, you mentioned that uh, in addition to the humor and I love the title, <laughs> you know, hell of a book, but in addition to all that, uh, and, and seeing into a space that people don't always experience, you know, the publishing space. You talked about how this is part memoir. Are there any particular scenes uh, that, that really were hard for you to write from a memoir standpoint? Is there anything you can tell us, you know, about your personal experience that kind of does show up in this book? Um, yes and no. Like, so this, I mean, this is where I'm going to be really annoying and be really evasive. Um, <laughs> that's your, your, that, that's your prerogative. So I just, I would just want to go ahead and say it early and just admit that I'm going to be really evasive on this part. Um, there were, there were a lot of really difficult scenes to, in that, in that book, um, both, both from my personal memoir kind of component. And then also just from the component of like being able to relate to like, you know, my father was not shot by police. Thank God. Um, but I, I empathize with people and I, you know, it could have been him. It could have been me, quite frankly, I'm 43 years old. Like I'm, I'm lucky to have made it this far. Um, so there, so, so yes, there were definitely moments that were way personal. Um, but I, I'm not going to nail down exactly which ones are which right now. Um, only because there, you know, as an author, there's still, I'm still trying to maintain a little bit of that veil, um, just kind of a self-protection mechanism. Um, but th yeah, so yeah, there were definitely hard moments and, Hopefully the reader will find some part of themselves in those moments, though. Well, that's fine. I had my my listener ears on when I heard you mention memoir. I thought I'd take a shot at it. You're, you're, <laughs> I respect yeah. that. No, I, re I totally respect that. You shouldn't yeah. take a shot at that. <laughs> yeah. So, so and, and since it took you 10 years, uh, as you said, it's the book has been in your head for 10 years. What do you hope that uh, readers take away from this book? I hope that this book be, you know, I hope it starts and, or not starts, but cause there's already a conversation about this, about the things within this novel. I hope it adds to and furthers that conversation, the national conversation that we have about uh, race and about identity and about police and interactions between those three and, you know, what it is to be an American, um, what it means to, to, to exist in a certain type of body in a country where historically that body has not been treated very well. We'll be, we'll be delicate and say it that way. Um, so I'm, I'm, my hope for the book is that it it finds, that people can come to it, they can laugh, they can weep, but they can also leave it thinking. When they, you know, when, when they close the book, I want them thinking about something they actually read. And I want that to move with them as they go forward into the day for however long it can. That's great. Well, I also usually ask this question, particularly of authors who've written uh, more than one book. You've written four plus novels now, plus the poetry that goes with it. So, and you may have kind of answered this in, in response to Alice's question uh, for advice for young writers. But the question I ask is, if you could tell your younger writing self something of value based on everything you've learned uh, that you think would have helped that younger Jason Mott uh, through that early writing uh, career, uh, can you boil it down to anything in particular? Probably, yeah, probably similar to what I told Alice about be forgiving. Um, but I would also tell myself to be patient. Um, Cause I, I definitely underestimated how during writing takes a long time to, to learn. It, it is a much more difficult skill than people oftentimes give it credit for. Um, and it takes, it just takes longer to learn it. It really does. And so when I was younger, I was in such a rush to be good at writing and I kind of hated myself for not being as good as I wanted to be 
And it wasn't that I was, you know, not capable of doing it. It's just I hadn't had time. Like you need, it's, it's, it's like logging flight miles if you're trying to be a pilot. Like you just need time in the seat and you need a lot more hours in the seat than you think you need. And so that's the thing I would tell myself at that younger age. Just just be patient. Just get more time in the seat and enjoy the time that you're having. Like don't don't rush for the next thing. Enjoy where you are, whatever stage you're at in your writing. Enjoy that and just get the time in the seat. That, that is really great advice. Uh, something that uh, myself included and probably a lot of people out there. Patience is one of those uh one of those things that's hard to master. <laughs> it really is. Uh, in fact, I had uh, uh, Steve Barry on. He, he's only sold 250 million books worldwide. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, tell me about your path. He said, well, I was a overnight success, but it took 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. Yeah. So as long as we keep that in mind, you know, it, it, you can be an overnight success. It's just going to take you more than 10 years to do it. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, this has been a great conversation. Alice, I want to thank you for your great questions today of, of Jason. Uh, uh, yeah. And Jason, I want to thank you for being on the show as well. Thanks for having me. This was terrific. Hey, listeners, uh, we're going to jump over now to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, where you can listen to us continue the conversation. If you're not one of our patrons, uh, consider joining up. Yeah, it's only about a cup of coffee's worth of uh, your money for a month, and you can get all this great content. We're going to talk about writing in third person and other things that Allison, and I think to uh, kind of pick uh, Jason's brain about in the writing world. So, so join us. All right. We're signing off. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.